Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to reach out to my congregation on this Wednesday, as well as to our Saints Network family across this great nation and of the United States and to the other saints encampments in the nations of the world. Hope you're all blessed. Hope you are all remaining under the covering of the blood of Jesus by your declaration continually, triumphantly. God is doing a great thing in these days. I wanted to talk to you today about a phenomenon that is happening um, increasingly, and that is the commune of God with his people in the night. Over the years, we have taught a lot and written materials and had seminars about dreams and visions and night visions. We've talked about them. We have prayed concerning them. We have applied them. It's a good teaching. And, um, you know, it's, it's not some odd thing. It's part of Joel 2 and Acts 2, the promise of the Father at Pentecost, that God would speak to his people in dreams and in visions and prophecy, and he would, he would also um, have those that are devoted as uh, servants and handmaids in, in an, a greater anointing than, than the norm. But it appears that God has looked upon us, uh, the saints, those who follow him in this way and are willing to intercede through the night and to pray and do spiritual warfare in the directions of the Lord, to have watch meetings. And, you know, it seems that God has looked upon that and now he is he has considered that faithfulness and now he wants to take us into a deeper place. And so I've noticed that in the early morning hours, God really has expressed an active desire to commune and to talk and to express. Now, I'm not saying that this hasn't happened to various degrees over the years. Hear me. But what I'm saying is that there's a heightened measure of this now. And um, what does it mean? Where are we in this? Well, let's look at some scriptures. And let's begin by a passage that has been stirring in my heart for quite a while the past number of days, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of the little boy Samuel, who was the son of Grace. Hannah's name is Grace. And um, this little boy would be the preeminent prophet and seer of Israel. Through him, the days of the judges would conclude, and uh, the days of the kingdom would really begin. Samuel would anoint the uh, first two kings of Israel. He would move with David in anointing the uh, the people of um, uh, the seers who'd serve in the tabernacle. And um, I I think that there is a a great word for us as saints today wherein um, we're seeing this played out again today. We've come through a season of grace, a year of grace, 
and the birthing of the year of wisdom has put this baby of promise and prophetic fulfillment into the midst of a scenario that's very akin to what Samuel was delivered into when he went to serve the Lord at Shiloh under the tutelage of the overweight, blind, and somewhat lackadaisical high priest named Eli. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. Let's look at this. These are the days of the judges where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It should. And uh, the word of God was precious. Well, it's always precious. Oh, yes, this word is precious to me. But it means a treasure. It means something that is highly valued. And, But in this instance, it was in that condition because it was like the, the mythical um, the, the mythical mine of gold that people are always looking for, the lost Dutchman mine or something. There wasn't any visitation of the word. There wasn't any Parat's vision or breakthrough vision. So it was keenly, keenly a rarity. Now, how is the word of God not a treasure today? Well, it is for those who love the word, but for even for those who, there are those who deny the word. There are those who are saying that it's not accurate. There are those who are saying that it's racist. There are those who are saying that it's Calvinistic, which is ridiculous, since, you know, you study the, 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 the Bibles that led up to the King James Version and, you know, Calvin in Geneva with the other reformers who were taking a stand for Protestantism. Um, they fought against the Holy Roman Empire, the Catholic Church, and King James and the persecution within France against the Huguenots, and they fought that the Word of God, which was made available through the days of Luther, so that it could be brought to the people. You know, the, the predecessor of the King James was the Geneva Bible, which Calvin was very much a part of, and there were a couple of other Bibles before that that really brought the Bible to the language of the people. And, um, you know, it is what it is. God, for the past hundreds of years, has brought that word to us. And if, if you're buying into Catholic doctrine, which they said from the very beginning, before racism was really even a thing, uh, or exclusionism was even a thing, um, they didn't like what Calvin and, and the other reformers were doing even then. So the word of the Lord is rare for you because you're drop-kicking it. Or maybe you think, well, it's just, you know, it's in the coin drawer here in the cash register. Oh, yes, we believe in the word, but we believe there are other words. It's kind of like that scene in uh, um, the Lady Killers movie with Tom Hanks, the Tom Hanks version. And he's sitting there with uh, the old lady that he's renting a house from. And he's reading uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And they're having a discussion. And... Uh, about what he's reading and he said how it's bringing solace to him and she said well ain't no word that's better than the the holy word of god and he said oh yes i have found many nights 
enjoying the words of the ancient scripture, but there are other books. I remember that scene. There are a lot of people that are, that's a comedy scene. It's a goofy scene. Tom Hanks should have won an Oscar for that. He did a great job in portraying that Southern professor that was uh, a ne'er-do-well. There are a lot of people who are saying the same thing. Oh, yes, I believe the word, but there are other words. The word of God isn't a treasure for you anymore. It's just another corn, coin in the corn. Coin. Say it again. There's no corn except for your faulty philosophy. It's another coin in the coin drawer. It's not a treasure to you. It has value, you say, but you, you deem other things equal value. God help you on Judgment Day. God help you. The Word of God was precious. These people were doing whatever they wanted to do. They had forgotten about the law of Moses. They had forgotten about every other thing that they had been trained to do. There was no open vision, no Parat's vision. They were not standing in the gap. They were not welcoming the kingdom. They were not doing what should happen in Peretz. And so, subsequently, there was no Parats. We see that played out today. We've studied this. If you don't secure the place where God has planted you, you cannot expect prosperity. You cannot expect breakthrough. Who's going to go and start a new business in Seattle right now? One of the most beautiful cities in the world. Who's going to go and start a, a new business in Portland? Who's going to start a new business in the Miracle Mile in Chicago? Who's going to start a new business in New York City? The governor is pleading with people to not flee, to stay, because their tax basin is going down quickly. You destroy the Peretz, you can forget about prosperity. You can forget about big daddy government coming to repatriate you and reparation you. There ain't going to be no money in the coffer for you. You destroy the Peretz, there's no breakthrough. So there was no open, there was no Parat's vision. There was no breaker. There was no breakthrough. They were doing things in their own eyes. That's what the days of the judges were. And when David came along years later, he tried to move the ark in a way that was un like And there was breakthrough, all right, but God broke through upon Uzzah. And the story is there for you to read. So when you don't honor the word and you don't take a stand in your Peretz, you're asking for trouble and you're not going to find breakthrough vision. This is the scenario that the Son of Grace was put into. Sound familiar today? Should. We're seeing it all around us. And even on a national scale, and a political scale, and in a spiritual scale. The enemy is trying to forget about defunding the police. How about defunding the saints? How about deconstructing the Word of God and deconstructing the saints? Let's tear down all the things that God has said. Let's embrace new gods. There's going to be war in the gates. They're already starting. But the time is not yet for that. God's got a son of grace in this land. It's a new move of his spirit that's, that's here, and it's going to come, and it's going to manifest. 
The enemy's just trying to stop it. But he won't succeed if we stand, as we stand. It's prophesied, so it's going to happen. But we, we've got to take our part. So we read through this scripture, and we find that one of Samuel's jobs was to make sure that in the early morning hours, he refilled the lamp of the candlestick with oil. And in the early morning hours, that supply through the night was just about to dissipate, so Samuel was going to get up. And here it says that before that happened, God began to speak to him and call his name. Now, Eli was old, no sin in being old. He was overweight, he was blind, and he was basically lackadaisical. And I'm sure that if he's got a little boy there that's serving, um, like a Cinderella kind of a thing, when that old man got up in the middle of the night, as old men are trained to do, prone to do, not training, you just get used to it, he would call out for Samuel, and Samuel would come and help him go out to the, 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 the holy outhouse or whatever, wherever the high priest went, or if he needed water or whatever, there was something concerning. So Samuel was probably used to that. So before the oil burned out, God starts speaking to Samuel. And after three times where he thinks it's Eli and he goes and says, Hey, you called me, and Eli says, no, it must be God. You ask him, you say, here am I. And when that finally happens, when God says um, in, in verse 10, Samuel, Samuel, that's a term of endearment, a double issuance, and God speaks. Now, it says that this is the first time that Yahweh gave a word to Samuel. This is the law of first issuance. This young man would grow up to be the preeminent prophet, seer of Israel. He would lead the people out of the days of the judges into the days of the king, kingdom. And this is a significant moment. And so God begins to speak to this boy. And I think we need to understand that when you're really going to move in kingship, God's going to commune with you in the early morning hours. Yes, again, listen to me. We're not talking about a new thing in the night as far as having dreams or visions or night visions or warring in the spirit. That's been happening for a long time. Hear me. But God is wanting to take his people in this year where the child of grace is growing in God's light and his wisdom is going to be manifesting in power. It's already happening. But it's just in its infancy stage. And in the midst of that first issuance, God is going to want to commune with his people. Now, he gives Samuel a word that subsequently he had to report to Eli. And um, it was about Eli having failed and that his sons and his lineage would not go forward. And Samuel, in innocency, gives this word to Eli, and Eli does not respond in the way you might think. He just rolls over and proverbially, for proverbially and says, okay, if that's going to happen, let it be. Que sera, sera. It's a fait accompli. There's my French for the day, Luke. 
even though you may not have understood my pronunciation. Who does this? I mean, if somebody came to you and said, you know what? You're cruising for bruising here, buddy. People aren't going to remember you and your lineage from this day forward. Your name is going to be Caputa. Even though we look at it today as a, as a warning, but his lineage did not pass on. And you hear that and it doesn't shake you? It doesn't, you, you say you're complacent about it? And I, I would say to you today, where are you in this? Where are you in this equation? You see what's happening in our nation. You see what's going on. You see um, that there is rebellion and there's insurrection that has nothing to do with black lives. And it has nothing to do with reform. It's avowed Marxists, Antifa and others, that are bent on the destruction of this nation and the capitalist stand that it is. And part of that is against God. Again, I've got it. You always have to say this. We love our African-American brothers and sisters. We want them to be treated well. We want them to be blessed. They are Americans. They are human beings, just as every other color. And we want that. It, there should not be abuse. Um, but a lot of what you're seeing today up in Portland and in Seattle, you can hear it from the African-American people themselves, it ain't Black Lives Matter. It's destroy America. That's their avowed intent. That's what they say. That's in their manifesto. You see it happening. If you want to see it, and what do you do about this? Do you go along with it? Yeah, you can see that. In the days when the Antichrist is fully moving, mothers and daughters are going to be in odd with each other. People are going to be turning in their relatives for bounty, just like they did in Nazi Germany. The demonic influence is going to be prevailing in the crowd speak. So what do you... You don't go along with that. Also, you don't become complacent. If you think for one minute that this is God's plan for you to just give up and wait for the horn to blow, for the rapture to come, you are what the Holy Spirit said in his word, an idiotus. <laughs> I don't understand that thinking. I was raised in a pre-trib doctrinal position. When I went to seminary in the Assemblies of God, which is as fundamental or was as fundamental as you could have gotten, there was even then some speak about, well, maybe it's not pre-trib. It could be more mid-trib. It could be between pre and mid. And, you know, you say when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption draws nigh. What does that mean? It doesn't say that before they begin. It says when you see them beginning. I see them beginning. We could right now be in the opening parts of what the Bible speaks about as a pressing tribulation. We could be right now. But, you know, we, we were taught 
okay, at some point, the horn's going to blow. We're going to be gone. People are going to be running around. Planes are going to be crashing uh, because Christian pilots are gone, and it's going to be a terrible time. Uh, and then the Antichrist is going to move. Well, guess what? The Antichrist is already moving. You're seeing things play out right now that are the, the, the beginnings of and um, we're seeing it. The redemption's drawing nigh, but what does nigh mean? Does it say the, the redemption is right then? Or does it say that it's getting close? It's nigh. It's kind of like when a kid starts saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? They're in the back seat of the car. No. Are we there yet? No. We're close. We're close. We're not there yet. So... Are we complacent? Do you think that, you know, when you hear a sermon, this nation's going to hell, I can't wait to get out of here, I've got a home in heaven, and you think you could just drift back, sit on the back pew, pay your tithe when you feel like it, and the horn's going to blow, you're going to be gone. Don't be complacent like Eli. Don't be fat, weary, blind, and unwilling to welcome the judging and the purging of the Lord in your own household. Eli just accepted it. Who does that? Lots of people today. And you see the church being ravaged. You see complacent people see people who still don't believe you should be in spiritual warfare and intercession. You see people that are just looking for a way out. See people that are, are investing all their chips into a political strata, and I do believe we need to be politically aware. But it reminds me of the parable of the soils, where 75% of the seed in Jesus' parable fails. For some, it's just another seed on the road. The enemy is there to steal it. For others, yeah, okay, we're peer people. We, we go with the momentum. Oh, but it's costing me something. My roots aren't deep, so I'm going to wait for the next rain, the next move, and I'll spring up to action. The enemy steals that seed too. Then there are those that the thorns of their own life pierce the fruit. Cares of this world, Jesus called them. These thorns did not come from some other plant. They came from you. Now, how do thorns happen in a plant? Well, you recognize that there's something in you that needs to be pruned, that needs to be purged, that needs to be perfected. And that only comes through waiting on the Lord. You fast. You love Him. You let Him see if there's any wicked way in you. Purge it. If you start giving voice to it, it's going to pierce your fruit. This is tragic. We see it today. You know, this, this thing that the enemy is causing to happen in people who should know better and the thorns of the cares of this world have pierced your fruit. It's not too late for you, but you've got to submit to God so that he can prune 
your life. Every branch that does not bear fruit is lopped off. And some of those branches are the thorns that your iniquities have let grow. You have let things happen in you, and you've let them happen, your reactions. The enemy, the energy of the enemy, which is, in, which is injustice, has fueled you. And you're outside of where you should be. You're hearing this word. You don't need to roll over like Eli and say it's comfy here. You know, I'm sure that when those thorns begin to grow, you think, finally, I can be what I'm supposed to be. Those thorns are piercing your fruit, buddy. You need to wake up. So here's this little boy. God's giving him his words. And in before, in the early morning hours, God is communing with him. That is a pattern. It's not, we're not talking in this message about the fact that you should be spiritually active in the night. You should be. But what we're talking about is this measure of commune and revelation. 1 Kings chapter 3, 5, God appeared to the Lord, Yahweh appeared to Solomon by night in a dream in Gibeon. And he says, Sha'al, what I shall give you. Sha'al is the privilege of kings. It's that intimate relationship with God where you can commune with him, represent his kingdom, and ask accordingly. Not according to your own devices, but ask according to what God would have you to do. And Gibeon, it's important because it's where the tabernacle of Moses was. Um, it's where the sacrifices were offered for sin. And it's, it's where remembrance of your roots are. Now, I know that David's tabernacle was where they worshipped. That's what the Gentile church is supposed to be doing. We recognize that and we embrace that. But when God appointed kings, they were appointed through the process of overcoming evil in Hebron and, and then this measure here of commune according to what Moses established, what the law established. You've got to stick with the word. And so Solomon goes there. He's offering sacrifices. He could have gone to where the tabernacle of David was. It would have been more convenient. But as precious as that should be and, and was and is today, there's something very clear about going to the foundational things when God is going to begin to commune with you. Yes, Tabernacle of Dave is exciting. Yes, you, you obey and you go and you establish the kingdom. Yes, but if you're not established in the foundational things, if you've deconstructed them or ripped them apart or added to them, you're cruising for a destruction. And maybe a bruising too. Solomon goes there. God speaks to him in the night. Communes with him about his sha'al. It's a commune. Intimate commune. Between God and his representative on earth. David said in Psalm 16 verse 7. I will bless the Lord. Who has given me counsel. My reins, literally the kidneys, 
or the internal organs, but mostly the kidneys, also instruct me in the night season. Instruct me. The essence of who you are. God tries the reins. He tries this place. Without going into a discussion of anatomy here, the kidneys are largely, just again, this is just a thumbnail definition, a cleansing apparatus. And we need them for our blood, for the processing of liquids and fluids. And um, it's a purifying. And God tries us there spiritually. And we need the water of the word. We need the water of fellowship. We need the water of the spirit. It's a precious thing. These are all commune things. And in the night, this is how God instructs us. In the night. In the night. I love what David says in Psalm 63, 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Meditate is to muse, to meditate, or to growl, or to make a guttural sound. That sounds kind of weird, but we've all done that. We even say it sometimes in colloquial speech. You know, somebody will say something and we'll say, hmm, that has no meaning. <laughs> hmm. I've been to other countries, other cultures, and they may not go, hmm, but sometimes they make strange noises and it's humorous at first and i just laugh i've heard people go whoa i've heard that woke some of you up i've heard people go make strange noises when they contemplate something and it's part of the culture it's part of the the embedded cultural framework of their language but for all of us there is something that is so deep it's like the groanings which cannot be uttered, it cannot be enunciated in, in tangible language. We all have that. You groan within. And, and it's the voice of our spirit. And God speaks to us in this way, in the night. You're remembering God on the bed. And you meditate in the night watches. It's God doing a deep work in this commune. Psalm 77, verses 5 and 6. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient time. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. Hmm. You know, let's just talk here for a minute, okay? Let's just commune, you and me. I've noticed that during this season, God is just speaking. It's just like sitting with a dear friend and only this is God, our dearest friend. And he's talking to us about things that are what he is feeling, what he wants to do. Um, 
And he's also speaking upon things that are are deep within us. And this is such an important factor for us to see. We're communing with him according to what David said in this sixth verse of Psalm 77 with, within our own heart. And again, the heart represents the steering wheel of our life. It is when we have determined through our emotions, through our spirit, which is God's voice, through our mind, through all that we are, what our course of action is, and what we really deem to be, that then constitutes what our heart is. And so God speaks about that. What's your perspective? What are you thinking? Why are you thinking this? Here's what I'm really wanting to do. And God comes. You know, the Song of Solomon, the cantique to cantique. It's, uh, you're in bed and God comes to the door and you say, you know what? I've washed my feet. I'm in bed. And then you realize I missed a moment. What was he saying about washing feet? I don't think very many of you, some of you might. I don't think you have a basin of water and you have a foot washing service before you go to bed. <laughs> I'm not saying you don't do um, personal hygiene, but this guy was really saying, you know what, This is there's time in the day, there's time in the night. I'm already in sleep mode, don't bother me. Go away, Lord, you bother me. Some people love to sleep. I like sleep, but I don't worship it. And for them, if God interrupts them, how dare you, God? You go to get people to prophesy it off of you. You rebuke it. You put funky blue lights in your room so you'll sleep. You, you double-dose melatonin. You, you, don't, you don't want to be awake. And again, I know that some people have sleep problems. I'm not trying to be... Uh, insensitive to that but what I would say to that is if you're dealt a lemon tree make lemonade and lemon pie spend time with the Lord spend time with him utilize that moment and it, it's it it can be a, a dynamic time some of you God has given a ministry in the night watches and you may not be having a, a a physical issue. Now you might be. If you if you if you go days without sleeping, you need to check out what's wrong. I'm not saying ignore what your body's trying to tell you, but if you have traditionally been somebody that is very active in the night, it may be that God made you to commune with him then as a watchman. But I digress here. When God begins to speak with us, we need to, we need to listen. We need to engage. We need to say, here I am, Lord, and let him try the reins. Let him commune within our heart, our perspectives. Let's even gain a song in the night. Let your spirit make diligent search. Be people that 
are, are willing to respond and react to God, to what he's saying, to his presence, embrace that visitation. Be instructed in the night seasons. Gain counsel from the Lord. Be willing to register the dreams God gives you and the visions, but the commune is the essence of all of it. It's not just an activity. This first issuance for Samuel, the son of the season of grace, was in the night, probably at around 5 in the morning, 4.30, 4, somewhere around there because it was immediately before the oil was to be out. This is God's first visitation. This is when Yahweh spoke to him for the first time. This son of grace. We are living in this year of wisdom. Grace has birthed something precious. The enemy is trying every way he can to destroy it. He does not want people standing in the gap. He does not want people honoring the Word of God. He does not want people to do what God says. He wants them to do whatever's right in their own eyes. No law. Let everybody have their story. That's the days of the judges. He does not want the church to awaken to its seeming fate or the, or the unre unrepentant church to awake. These are all right here. But in the midst of it, in this year, where son of grace, where the product of grace, where what God's purpose and his desire for the new day, for the visitation that's coming, we need to be listening to that commune with God and embrace it. Now, you say, well, I don't know if I like that. You know, I'm pretty busy during the day. I need my rest. Yaddy, 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 yaddy. I know that. I know what you're saying. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm 63 years old. I'm getting about four and a half to five hours of sleep a night. And I'm busier now than I ever was. Every now and then I may take a nap in the middle of the day, a siesta. But that's maybe once every two weeks. I'm blowing and going. And if you are investing yourself in the Lord in this way, he will strengthen you with a supernatural strength. And you just need to get off your, yourself and, and recognize that this is what God is doing and this is the way he moves. The last verse of many that we could look at is Daniel 2, verse 19. Remember, Daniel was put in a position where he had to advise the king at the, upon threat of death. He had to interpret spiritual encounter in the night. And in Daniel 2.19, then was the secret revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, you might say, Daniel blessed the God of heaven because say, God gave him the, the revelation and saved the skin of him and his friends. Well, yeah, that's a good reason to be blessing the God of heaven. <laughs> but to me, I think 
looking at the 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 full picture of Daniel's life and ministry to commune with God was the essence for him and that commune is sufficient in itself to bless the God of heaven God is reaching out to all of us to his people God is speaking in wonderful ways. We can hear from God all day long. We can study his word and hear him. We can pray and gain insights from him. We can speak in the spirit languages and interpret and gain amazing directive from God. His word is coming alive in unprecedented ways. Visitations of the angelic are are more prominent now than at any time that I can recall. And I'm not talking just about, about seeing angels or encountering an angel or having an activation where you can like in the ghost of Mr. Chicken, Carol, Carol, Salami, you know, vibrating for an hour. I'm not talking about that. Angels never really like that anyway. But I'm talking about God sending his representatives who are called to minister to the heirs of salvation and with them. That's on the upswing because God's moving. So I... I ask you today, I ask you, I ask you, what is God doing in the world today? Instead of saying, what in the world is God doing? Maybe we should say, what is God doing in the world today? It's obvious if you're really wanting to see and if you're really sensitive to doing the things you should do. Yeah, the days of Samuel are playing out right in front of us. But I ask you, which part are you playing in that story? Are you as the tribes who all have your own agenda, your own story, do what's right in your own eyes? Is that where you are? Are you a corrupt religious system? It's amazing the things that are going on in churches and in religion. I'm not, judgment needs to first begin in the house of God, but that's not, I, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. <laughs> but I'm saying that there's a lot of corruption. Some of the things I hear religious leaders saying are tantamount to heresy. Hophni and Phineas are nothing compared to to what's being done today in the name of the official church in a lot of places. Are you complacent? Do you feel like your ship has sailed and you're just kind of drifting along? Let what happens, happens. I'm waiting for the trumpet to blow, like Eli. Are you, as Solomon, who went before God, knowing 
that you have a kingly responsibility and you want to hear from him. That's what Samuel did, even as a little boy. Even as a little boy. And in the night, that little boy heard from Yahweh, the plan of God for the first time. And he said something akin to what Isaiah would say years later. Here am I. The voice of the Spirit is calling to you right now. You don't have to wait till the midnight hour or to four in the morning. Calling your name. Are you going to live as long as you're alive? Are you going to be a voice for God as an intercessor? Are you going to recognize the times? Are you going to let the enemy change them? Yeah. We're seeing the seeds of wickedness. The lawless one. The anomia. The man of lawlessness. We're seeing him manifested right now. The Antichrist is everywhere. Coming out from the church, as John said. Are we afraid of that? No. These are just the beginnings. We are citizens of heaven. We're serving our Father. He has told us in His Word what's going to happen. We may not know when, but we see what's going to happen. There's going to be a former rain and a latter rain. There's going to be a visitation of God's Spirit. In the midst of darkness, the light's going to shine, but not everybody's going to receive it. The enemy does not want those things to happen. He knows he at least still believes in what the Word of God says. The demons believe and tremble. <laughs> They're just trying to get you not to believe. <clears throat> so he's trying to stop what God has said he's going to do. He's trying to change the times according to what Daniel says. And... Um, what are you going to do about it? Now, you're not going to be able to bind and rebuke the enemy from intending to do that. That's what God says he does. God's letting him. He's going to let the enemy play out this hand and be defeated. That's our God. He's going to let you be those sons that the enemy hated from the beginning. That's our God. And he's going to overcome the enemy, and the enemy will be crushed under our feet in God's timing. When? Soon. Soon is not a time. <laughs> if you're, you know, it used to irritate me. Oh, my goodness. You'd have these prophetic gatherings, and I was part of so many of them, where they just knew the day and the time and what's going to happen and who's going to do it and then as soon as that generation dies, another group rises up and says, there's money in this, we'll do it again. And then nations change. and Dear God, when's Jesus coming back? Who's the Antichrist? How about you just be what you're supposed to be? How about if you know in general what God says is going to happen and be like Jesus who said, I don't know the day or the time. Only the Father in heaven knows that. What would Jesus do? That's what he said he's doing. Wow. What days we're living in. But they're good days. Oh, yeah. As an American, 
I hate what I see is happening in our country. And I have to continually go before the Lord and let him cleanse me from the things that I see in this wickedness. I detest things that I see that are disclaiming the word of God and wanting anarchy to rule and let sin just be the law of the land. Not just abounding, but to become the law of the land. I hate that. And if you're a Christian, you ought to hate that too. But I am a child of God. I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. And I have to be totally, continually cleansed by communing with God, by the Word of God, by praying in the Spirit, by being a, a person who surrenders my rights so that what God wants can be. And we need to wake up to what's really happening in the timetable of God. God has turned the page. There are new things happening. The enemy is moving. We should expect it. That's what he does in the word. We don't like it. We don't, we don't not stand against it. But when we see it happen, we shouldn't roll over or just think that a quick binding and rebuking is going to do it. We got to stand in the gap. The enemy wants that gap. He doesn't want you there. So, which part do you play in this story in 1 Samuel 3? What role are you demonstrating? Are you with Samuel? Are you as a, as a child of grace? Are you as someone who's partnering with God and who's welcoming the new birth of wisdom that God is bringing? That's where we should be. And when that word came to Eli, instead of rolling over, taking a sip of water and going back to sleep, he should have said, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm going to rise up and partner with this visitation of Yahweh. Eli didn't do it. Let's believe for the church to, to really awaken. Was there hope for Hophni and Phineas? There could have been. That's up to God. This is our place. And it's a good place. God is with you. And God's going to do incredible things. And then let's just work, let's be concerned about this season. Let's not skip ahead two seasons. God is going to do a great thing. There's going to be a visitation of his spirit. How long that lasts and to what extent it has its effect is up to God. We got to keep praying and partnering with him. Watch ourselves. And um then when God says it's time for these seeds of anarchy to, to rise, it'll happen. 
Whether the rapture comes then or whether we keep fighting and partnering with the Lord, that's up to God. We need to keep our eyes on the road and what God has placed before us. And, and it's very clear. So let's keep praying. Let's be sensitive to our Lord in the night. That's the most important thing of all. To commune with the King of Kings, the God, the one true God, the only God of heaven and earth and all that has been created and all that will be created, that he would come and stand with us and talk to us about his ways as Yahweh, his plan. There's only one God. There's not a bunch of mini-gods. That's mythology. But that God would come to us in those early morning hours and commune is precious. Embrace that. Well, that's about all I'm going to say. The rest is up to me and to you in partnering with our Father. I declare the blood of Jesus over all of you. Stay under that covering. Trust Him to protect you, provide, and activate you. And I just want to give an announcement here. Be looking for continued words about um, what our virtual seminar is going to entail. It's going to be very interactive. It's going to be one of the most powerful times we've ever known as we welcome, if my people, as we welcome the kingdom upon this nation and the nations where you have been called to stand. Uh, you'll be hearing something further about uh, something that we're going to be offering for an hour, an hour and a half on Saturday morning, the 22nd of August. Um, uh, a teaching on a refresher on fivefold and uh, a pronouncement about how God wants to take that essential mandate of his way of thinking into a new level, a heightened level. It's very exciting, and that's going to be available. We'll announce that more on Sunday and send out a word. Um, but let's remain in prayer, and let's be hopeful, and let's be wise, and let's keep moving in the things of the Spirit. God loves you. He's with you. And um, tomorrow, look for another prayer primer. Pray God will bless you. Don't give up. Thrive in this moment. Thanks for joining. God bless.